Hello and welcome to The Bunker with me, Andrew Harrison. It's Start Your Week and here to highlight the stuff to look out for in the next seven days. It's Best for Britain CEO, Naomi Smith. Hello, Naomi. How are you doing? Morning, Andrew. Thanks for getting up early. It's snow day, so nobody has to go to school or work. What a massive change. <laughs> That's exactly. so exciting. Yes. COVID is clearly going to dem- dominate the week again. Groundhog Week. It's highly likely that we will pass 100,000 deaths this week, which is just astonishing. But it looks like the issue of COVID restrictions are going to come to our head. The right-wing COVID recovery group is pushing for a timetable to end lockdowns uh, once the main at-risk groups are vaccinated. The chairman of the Education Select Committee, Robert Halfon, has asked for a plan to reopen schools with priority vaccination of teachers and so on. And the government is saying it, it's all too soon. What, what, what do you think is going to happen? Well, first off, the COVID recovery group with all the usual suspects of Steve Baker and Mark Harper, but with added pressure from the likes of people like Graham Brady. Let's just remember, they are not interested in us recovering from COVID in much the same way as the ERG never really did any bloody research (laughs) about Europe, okay? They are interested in us living with COVID. And that's what this is about. This is about saying, let's get back to normal. Let's try and live with it rather than do what every other country that has successfully reopened its economy has done, which is to properly suppress COVID. Regular listeners of The Bunker, of course, will know that we have interviewed March for Change uh, and various MPs that sit on the all-party parliamentary group on coronavirus, like Leila Moran, like Dan Poulter. We've also had uh, Dr. Sarah Wollaston, who was uh, part of setting that up, even though she's no longer an MP. And they've advocated something called COVID Secure UK. Now, this is different from zero COVID, which is often you know, d- derided by the right as an absolute nonsense. And remember, COVID Secure was about controlling through proper test track, isolate and support, i.e. support those people that have to isolate to make sure they're not uh, incentivized to ignore the advice and go to work because they won't earn if they don't, to suppress it. And of course, that's the talk about the borders, making sure that we're controlling the borders and then eliminate. And arguably eliminate is the only bit that this government seems to be doing at all well, which of course is on vaccines. But even that, uh, let's say, uh, is, is questionable for a few reasons. We still do not have the control or suppress, sorted out properly. And it's very much going to be the the suppress bit, that borders argument that we see debated a lot this week within the the Tory party, Um, the the hawks and the doves about keeping borders open, the the restrictions that may need to come into uh, force at the border still haven't been uh, signed off by COVID-O, the group that are looking at that. And of course, there have been huge, big delays between the government finding out about a new variant coming out of a different country and stopping travel from that country. Uh, All sorts of different measures being talked about today. You will have heard about these hotel quarantinings in and around Heathrow and things like that. But we are arguably also getting eliminate wrong too, because I think there are some very real questions uh, about this vaccine and the double dose and the gap between the first and second doses. So yes, we've done incredibly well getting the vaccine into the arms of lots and lots of the over 80s and, and some younger groups too. But none of these people, as far as I'm concerned, offered themselves up to be guinea pigs. And the Pfizer trials and, and others 
all worked on that basis of that second dose coming much, much more quickly than the government is now intending most people will get that second dose. And and various different experts and scientists talking about whether or not that might allow some kind of mutation to happen uh, and yet another variant coming forward that may be uh, less suppressed by the vaccines that we've got available to us at the moment. One of the kind of the thing that seems to be haunting government is the fear of doing what it's done over and over again. Lock down too late, then reopen too soon and undo uh, whatever gains you've, you've, you've made. I mean, we, we have seen daily cases come down from almost 60,000 to 30,000, which is still towering above the last peak, but at yep. least it's, it's down. So lockdown seems to be working in the sense that it brings the immediate set of cases down, but it, it, there doesn't seem to yep. be any kind of strategy for what happens afterwards, and exactly. particularly on schools. Exactly. That's why, you know, sensible people have pushed for a COVID secure strategy. And we still haven't seen that from government. They're still dithering over little bits of it. And as you say, locking down too late, considering reopening too early, unclear messaging and and no plan being set out. And so I have some sympathy with the CRG to be saying, let's push for a timetable. Very difficult to do that when this new variant seems to be acting in different ways, being more transmissible and more deadly. And of course, most hospitals saying that the, the patients now in ICU look different to the ones that were very ill and dying last year in, in March, April, uh, that that was predominantly the over 70s. And now they're saying ICU is pretty full of people in their 50s and 60s. So people who are still working, who still have careers, who, who are not yet retired, economically active people. So that will also be uh, feeding into the decisions about whether or not you can have any easing of restrictions. So as I said, the two big issues uh, this week facing government are the borders, but also schools. Um, we're expecting that we'll hear that schools won't reopen uh, after the February half term uh, this week, we, we may hear that, and possibly now not until after the Easter holidays. Uh, and the government has got to answer an urgent question in the Commons today from Robert Halfen uh, about that schedule for schools. Yeah, that's going to be this week's U-turn, isn't it? Or rather, the U-turn for the first half of this week. We'll find out what the U-turn for the yeah. second half of the week will be will be late, later on in the week. So, yeah, let's talk about schools for a bit because this question of urgent vaccination for teachers is 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 a valid one. But you know, the, we were softened up over the weekend with the idea that the, the promised return is is not going to happen. A roadmap just to reopen schools is one thing, but where is the strategy for addressing the, the lasting impact on kids' education? Nobody's really talking about this. Just just say put them back in school, sorted isn't enough is it because there's a huge there's a huge amount of catching up but also a huge amount of re-socializing kids into the routine of being at school and we do risk this this lost generation don't we Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, if you remember, I mean, there have been so many disastrous decisions by this government, it's easy to forget them all. But I think what we've seen with the horrific number of cases, uh, hospitalizations and deaths is just how criminal their decision to allow schools to go back for one day at the start of the year after Christmas, before that U-turn. So not only, of course, did that act as a, a as some kind of vector and, and allowed that super spread to happen straight after the, the Christmas break and then for everyone to take that back from the schools and into their, their homes where we know, you know, it is within households where this thing is still spreading most virulently, um, is, is again, that... that uh, 
constant mismanagement of children's expectations, of family expectations, this yo-yo effect on children. So you're right. Uh, We we will not even begin to know the full effects of the disastrous decisions that this government has taken to date that have meant that we have had to have continual lockdowns and children out of school. Um, We've heard lots about the mental health impact on children. We've heard huge amounts about the uh, socioeconomic differences between uh, different groups, particularly, remember, around exams, and it was private school children that seemed to get better grades because of the the decisions that um, Gavin Williamson made about how Oh, grades would be awarded. Um, and, and that is all being compounded. The longer that there is not a strategy, the longer that this government does knee-jerk reactions rather than having a proper, uh, well-thought-out plan for reopening the economy in a sustainable way. And with it, of course, schools, we, we aren't going to know the full effects. But what we do know is that this was all eminently predictable. We know that the government were warned time and time again about second waves, third waves. We knew that they were cautioned about the uh, socioeconomic differences and how many children didn't have access to broadband, didn't have laptops at home. They had plenty of time to throw money at this situation to try and offset some of that damage. Yet again, they're still playing catch up, still having to react to people like Marcus Rashford rather than be on the front foot with all of this uh, and get children and teachers the support that they need. Uh, It's not all schools. Governments has quietly extended the lockdown laws to give local councils in England the power to close pubs, restaurants, shops and public spaces until July the 17th. Is there enough public patience left to to put up with this? We're already seeing, you know, gigantic illegal weddings up the road from me in North London, raves around the corner from me in London. It's not all me, I promise you. Are you the common denominator here? We know that you love, we love good dance music, you know, you're always up for a party, Andrew. Honestly, I would give, I would give my, I'd give my my kidneys (laughs) for a tunnel rave right now. I'd go go to anything. I've just been doing my tax and it was a litany of all the gigs that I could have gone to and I thought, oh, you know, I'll go to that, I'll go to the next one because there isn't a next one. There hasn't been a next one. But, getting back to the topic in hand public patience you know as you say people are behind it they're behind um the idea of harsher punishments for you know transgressors of the rules and so forth and there's a a constant particularly in in cities a constant disbelief that we're told that there's the regulations around masks and then you get on a bus or a tram and people aren't wearing them and there seems to be no sanction whatsoever and yet at the same time People's patience is wearing incredibly thin. They don't feel like there's an end to this. And when you're told that you can't get a pint until July, it's hard to bear, isn't it? Do you think there'll be developments on that front this week? Or is that just going to be put in the memory hole? Well, I've certainly heard the July date now for several weeks uh, from you know various leaks from government that, that we get as a campaign. And certainly there's going to be no easing of restrictions at all until hospital admissions are down and death rates start to come down dramatically. But probably no lifting of most restrictions until all the over 50s are immunised. Now, what we might hear is something along the lines of that latter bit. Uh, but again, that brings me back to the point I made at the top of the show. What will the government mean by that? Will that mean the over 50s having had their first jab or everyone over 50 having had their first and second jabs? Because remember, we are seeing reports, particularly out of other countries, that people that have had the jab, the first dose, are still able to contract the disease not maybe as badly as uh, they would do if they hadn't had the immunisation at all. But very importantly, it means that they can still spread it, which is why we've seen Jonathan Van Tam being very, very strident um, in his messaging towards those that have received their first dose. This does not mean you can go out and act as if uh, no other lockdown restrictions apply to you. They do because 
the the people who have had it already in in their arm once can still transmit uh, to those that haven't had it at all. We've got to have an in-depth explainer on the individual vaccines on tomorrow's bunker, actually. Say what's you know what's in this one? How does that one work? Just to kind of well, that is a big relief because I am no immunologist. So. Well, exactly. Yeah. That's what we no wanted pieces. to do it because uh, you know we're sitting here going, oh, well, which which one's which? Which one should you get? Do you just get the one that you're given? How do they work? You know, so mm. yeah, tune in or whatever you do with podcasts tomorrow and find out a little bit more about that. Fi- just finally, before we move on, we are vaccinating people faster than anyone. And at the same time, we have the world's worst COVID record for cases and deaths per million. Is the government banking everything on the vaccine? And uh, I'm hoping that that's going to solve everything. Does it have an inability to focus on more than one thing at a time? I think it's banking on the vaccine figures, getting them out of deep water over the other horrific statistics. So I don't think that they are banking on that solving the issue for the UK in terms of uh, coronavirus, but they are banking on it being the thing that is their get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to public support. Uh, Yes, we might have the worst per capita death rate in the entire world. Yes, our economic figures as a consequence are much worse than almost every other Western economy. But hey, hey, we're doing so well on vaccines. Love us for that. I don't think that they are so stupid as to believe that that is the, the answer to infection that was a little reference there for any uh, dystopian horror film fans like <laughs> um, uh, but uh, um, but I do think that they hope that that will be the thing that saves their ass when it comes to election time that said I, I come back to my point that I've made a few times now the delay between the first and second doses could be their undoing on that if it proves that that was an enormous mistake. Um, Either because it it is an ineffective approach and it, it puts people at risk and allows a mutation to happen or because people are just you know, pretty cross about the fact that they did not sign up for that when they agreed to have the first dose put in their arm. It was, they were consenting to it being done as per the clinical trial results and not some sort of fabricated, oh, this is how we get more people immunized if we if we have the delay. So I think both of those two things could be howlers for the government yet to come. We talked about schools, we've talked about the hospitality sector and lockdowns. Let's talk about Best for Britain's new call for a ten billion pound COVID support scheme for people who've been left out of all of these support schemes, all of the furloughs and so forth, excluded taxpayers. What's happening? Tell tell us more about this. Well, yes. So um, regular listeners of the show will also have heard um, that that we have given quite a lot of airtime to this as well. So this is the three million plus excluded people who have received absolutely no financial support from the government whatsoever. People like new joiners, uh, people who have been refused furlough by their employers, uh, small limited company directors. You know, there are there are tons and tons of groups out there for whom uh, Sunak's packages just didn't have any application at all. And they're getting to the stage of, you know, 10 months without earning a bean or without any financial support. So uh, Best for Britain acts as secretariat to the largest all-party parliamentary group in parliamentary history, the APPG on Gaps in Support. And they have put forward a policy proposal to the Treasury uh, that is covered exclusively in the FT today, which is a plan to help uh, a lot of those groups. Now, it doesn't help all of them, it, it, it's worth saying, um, but they've co- they've come up with something called the Targeted Income Grant Scheme, and that is a one-off grant for groups of taxpayers such as the newly self-employed, PAYE freelancers, limited company directors, and all of those that were excluded by the 50-50 rule on the SEISS, that's the Self-Employed Income 
support scheme that Sunak pushed out. And that 50-50 rule was around saying, you know, 50% of your income needs to come from being uh, self-employed rather than, you know, it's just a little side hustle of things you sell on eBay. So hopefully the Treasury will accept this because it is a, a very, very good policy. We've worked incredibly hard on it with tax experts to make sure that it is something easily implemented by HMRC. We've removed all of the barriers that that might make them afraid of doing this. It's not open to fraud abuse, as some of their other schemes have been, uh, and it's pretty easily automated. So we're, we're very hopeful that the Treasury will listen on this and that SUNAC will be able to announce some some pretty uh, impressive grants for these people, uh, you know, up to £7,500 um, that they will therefore at least be able to get something rather than nothing. Of course, you know, that that may be a very, very tiny amount compared to what they could have earned had there not been coronavirus or that they would have got in terms of furlough payments if they'd been a a normal employee that was furloughed. Um, However, it's certainly better than nothing. And we're really hopeful that the government listens this time. So we should keep an eye on this. Are there sort of moments where we uh, we can keep an eye on the news where something may be developing with this? Hopefully, yes. So um, the FT have written it up as an exclusive today. Uh, we are expecting other other papers to pick it up. And it's really important because it is all party. This isn't an opposition thing. The APPG is chaired, co-chaired by several people. It's got Jamie Stone from the Liberal Democrats. It's got Tracy Braben from Labour. But it's also got Esther McVeigh from the Conservatives. Now, you may think that's a bit of an unholy alliance uh, when it comes to the likes of Best of Britain. But she's right on this uh, and she deserves uh, you know, credit where credit's due on it. And so I'm really hoping that the government do listen because it has got that cross-party support. And these are taxpayers. You know, These are entrepreneurial people. They are a traditional uh, Tory voter base. So I'm hopeful that the government may listen this time and do a bit of a U-turn. While we're on business, the customs border mess, with particular reference to Northern Ireland, but just general import-export to the mm-hmm. European Union, seems to get worse by the day. It's a new story of VAT or delays daily now. Amazon mm-hmm. has just told its marketplace sellers that parcels going from Britain to Northern Ireland are going to need a customs declaration going through the non-existent border in the Irish Sea that uh, <laughs> Brandon Lewis says doesn't exist. There's been no government communications about this. MasterCard has just said it's putting up its, its charges for purchases from the EU for for. British customers. British firms are being told to set up in the EU by the government to avoid getting VAT surcharging and and customs. You know, this could not be more ironic. Do you think this is going to worsen this week? Yes. And can I just also say props to the very hilarious tweeter who responded to the MasterCard story saying, uh, the best things in life are free, but for everything else, there's sovereignty. Um, (laughs) very good uh yes it is going to get worse um it'll get worse this week it'll get worse every week uh the eu are totally right this isn't what the government uh, the uk government claims um you know sort of early bumps in the road while we smooth things out this is friction this is this is trade friction Mm. uh and you'll remember that when our prime minister boris johnson announced the eu uk deal uh just before christmas he very stupidly and misleadingly said that this meant this deal meant that there would now not be any frictionless trade. It is a nonsense. Hmm. It is being played out every single day. Costs are going to rise, and those costs will be passed on to consumers. So our cost of living has risen markedly, as every single economic impact assessment report showed that it would, from the pre-referendum ones, to the ones that Theresa May's government did, to the ones that Best for Britain did, to the ones that other uh, think tanks and um, uh, you know economic modelers have done over the last few years. And it is also going to get worse once we're allowed to travel again. Because if you remember, at the moment, this is just about goods. 
yeah. at the borders getting right. None of us are traveling. We're not going on holidays. That fresh hell awaits holidaymakers once the lockdown subsides. Um, and it's becoming abundantly clear that being outside the customs union is a total nightmare for British business. Yeah. I mean, the stories of having your house sandwich taken away in your lorry cab are going to be mu- multiplied a thousand times, aren't they? Indeed. The only good news is for vegans as they've now authorized vegan sandwiches. It's all um, about because, the bloody vegans. Yeah. <laughs> Cooked meat is not allowed to travel between the, you know, the UK and the rest of Europe. I just wonder, has anybody actually rung up Boris Johnson about the form and has he actually told her to put the form in the bin, as he promised, as he told Northern Ireland? Well, he did. Now, I must admit, at one point, Besser Written did uh, resurrect that video of of Boris Johnson announcing to all those business leaders, you can personally ring me if you uh, have to fill out a customs declaration form. We did contemplate tweeting the number 10 phone number out with that clip saying hi everyone give them a ring (laughs) (laughs) but thought that we might get into a little bit too much trouble for doing that but make noise make noise you're damn damn right to do so is there going to be a biting point with this though because it's it's going to get worse it's 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 not going to get better is there going to be any point at which the public starts to click that this is not the EU punishing us as certain pro-Brexit foghorns in the press and in parliament like to say but this is you know these are the terms and conditions when you're not in the club i think i think two things so first of all uh business will make the noise first and they are beginning to now listeners will know my frustration uh, with british business for having been mealy-mouthed at best um from the referendum onwards about anything to do with brexit for fear of being frozen out of government negotiations or having uh, government support packages withdrawn from them if they weren't seen to be you know supporting and complying with every uh, nonsense message that the government put out but i think they are now beginning to bear teeth um the hauliers were much better towards the end of last year they were forewarning all of this we've had retailers and others now wading into the debate and of course fishermen uh, a pro-brexit fishermen now all saying that they regret it so i think that will begin to percolate through to the the public a little bit but the public won't really feel it until when your dpd driver or your hermes driver or your royal mail postman comes to the door with a chip and pin device and says no you can't have your parcel until you've paid your customs duty and 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 that very odd feeling of having to pay at your doorstep in order to get your parcel i think will be something that 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 wakes a lot of people up that may take a while to percolate through haulage twitter is the thing to follow right now tales live tales from the haulage front line before we close up then there's a couple more things um also on the economy uh, Labour have got an opposition day this week. They're going to attack the government on council tax rises and on its plans to weaken employment rights. Obviously, Boris Johnson has been attempting to rubbish opposition days, uh, as he always does when he can't handle an argument. But do you think that Labour are going to be able to get that spotlight on the fact that COVID is an inequality issue as much as it is you know, a public health issue and so forth? You know, because council tax rises attack the most vulnerable people and obviously... Yep employment rights under the cover of covid this is the it, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's a bad time to reduce a, a, you know reducing employment rights is a bad idea this is the worst time to do it Damn straight. So on council tax rises, uh, this does seem completely insane, given how many uh, people are going to become unemployed this year. You know, everyone said last year, oh, this is going to be the worst Christmas we've ever had. And I always said, no, 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 no. Next Christmas will be the worst Christmas we've it's ever had. It's a ray of sunshine, you are. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but that's because most people were still in some kind of employment furloughed or not last year. Whereas this year, with more and more companies going under, because of Brexit as well as because of COVID, um, we're going to see... Uh, you know, far more economically inactive people. So I think to 
plunge even more financial uh, problems onto you know the average person this year um, is 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 criminal and Labour are going to go very hard on attacking the government on this. But on the winding back of employment rights. Now, this is very specifically at the moment about the working time directive that the EU protections gave us, about ensuring that we didn't have to work more than a 48-hour working week. And Kwasi Kwarteng has confirmed that story that was originally uh, leaked to the FT, to to friend of the show, Peter Foster, um, and confirmed that that is exactly what they're thinking of doing. And, you know, conservative governments do not have a good record of improving employee rights. This is about watering them down. This isn't about sovereignty and, you know, letting us control how few hours British people work. It is about us controlling the British people and forcing them uh, to work longer hours. Um, We need to be very, very, very angry about this. There is a link in my Twitter bio. So I'm at Pimlico on Twitter. Uh, I've put the link in there now. And that is a link to a tool where you can email your MP and tweet your MP about this rowing back of workers' rights. And it is absolutely vital that MPs hear from us all in volume on this over the coming week, because this is a Brexiteer wet dream. Roll back, you know, so-called EU red tape and replace it with horrible libertarian measures to to squeeze um, workers even more than we already do. Lovely. Mm. We're going to ruin everybody's week every Monday, aren't we? One more thing before we go uh, for me to highlight, which is the Environment Bill is coming back this week, and it's a big test for the supposed Govian post-Brexit stewardship of the environment. And there's a whole load of stuff in it, but I did notice that uh, Chris Grayling and Desmond Swain want to add the hedgehog to the list of protected (laughs) animals. So bad news for hedgehogs there. Sorry if Grayling's in charge. All right, pay the hedgehogs. All the hedgehogs. First the they hedgehog. come from the badgers, now now they come for the hedgehogs. Absolutely. Sadness in their little eyes. Naomi Smith, thank you for joining me. What's your personal priority for the week ahead? Um, oh, God, that's a good question. I think going to be really pushing out our, our workers' rights campaign because uh, this is everything we warned about from Brexit and now it's coming home to roost. So, yeah, making lots and lots of noise about that, encouraging people to get involved with that campaign. Excellent. Well, thanks thanks for getting up early. Thanks for joining us. Listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, remember, there are dailies on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday with the big panel show on Tuesdays. And now our new occasional series where Nick Cohen from The Observer will interview interesting writers about interesting things. First one with James Hawes, author of The Shortest History of England, came out at the weekend and it's very good. So why not have a listen? There'll be more of them soon too. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. Audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production.